0: And here he goes. Zenzo said, as good as it gets in the league, McKinnon on the fly. What's the shot? Wow. He scores! Whoa! Pastrnak going for the hat trick. He scores! And David Pastrnak with the hat trick here in Lake Tahoe. Austin Matthews lets it go, scores! He has doubled down once again. And the beat goes on.
2: Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Our Line Starts, presented by Duncan. I am joined by Patrick Sharp and Dominic Moore. What's up, guys?
1: Hey, KT. How's it going? Long time no see.
2: I know. We were in studio. Where were you, Sharpie, this weekend, huh? Just chilling, watching the games on TV? I
3: was off the grid. I enjoyed the games. I thought they did a good job. Um, one criticism, I thought the intermissions were horrible. They should have had KT <laughs> out there. They should have had Sharp <laughs> out there, Jones, Moore, get Anson Carter. I think I would even volunteer for NBC go out a week early to Tahoe <laughs> test out that Heavenly <laughs> resort. You would have known
2: the ice wasn't good. You would have been <laughs> testing it out.
3: <laughs> exactly. Other than that the game was the two games were great and Edzo and Tarico Bush, Rutledge, they did a great job covering it but that's my one criticism.
2: All right. I Hey, I agree. I support that. It would have been fun <laughs> to be out there in Tahoe. But, yeah, let's talk about these outdoor games because, I mean, we always look forward to these events. They are events. And even the common fan that might not be watching an NHL game tunes in just to see what it's all about. Uh, Lake Tahoe, it was stunningly gorgeous on Saturday afternoon when they tried to get that game in. And a game that took over 11 hours to complete. It finally wrapped up at 1.49 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday morning. But, you guys, that game was uh, – a you know, we knew it was going to be build both these all four teams that were in this weekend's events. We knew that they're going to be contenders. But when you saw what Colorado was able to do in that game after a lengthy delay came back on the ice. I mean, Dom, what does that tell you about the way this Avalanche team is playing right now?
1: Well, the Avs are have proved themselves and against the top teams and McKinnon certainly delivered uh, in a huge way on the big stage. He was spectacular, a factor in all three of the Avalanche goals. And uh, we highlighted that that oh boy from Alex Petrangelo yesterday was awesome. which was enter- which was awesome um, there was a lot a lot of uh, good showcase involved in that game and you know obviously unfortunate what happened in terms of the weather but hey that's the nature of these outdoor games and i just you know give so much credit to to everyone that was involved in putting this together in short notice trying to do something creative Um, you know, you have to take a bit of a risk in order to make, you know, things like this happen. And I thought they did an amazing job. As a player, hey, this is a privilege to play in these games. And, you know, Sharpie, you play in these outdoor games. It's just like some of the most memorable games of your career because of the uniqueness of the experience. You look back on those days uh, with so much fondness. And so I think the players were all just grateful for the experience more than anything else. And certainly they put on a show in the game.
3: Yeah, that's exactly how I felt, um, I was fortunate enough to play in three different games, one at Wrigley, one at Soldier Field in Chicago, and then we played in the Nationals Park in Washington for a third one. And I don't really remember too much about the score of the game. I can tell you if I scored or not, but I don't really know <laughs> much else. It was, it was about the experience, family and friends being at the game, the unique setting, uh, once in a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I got a chance to do it three times. So as far as the abs and the, and the Vegas Golden Knights – uh, something tells me that we're gonna see those two teams play against each other uh when the stakes are pretty high come playoff time. To me, they're the two best teams in that division. They got star power throughout both of their lineups. Uh that'll be a fun playoff series to watch. Let's hope they meet up at some point.
2: Yeah.
1: Did you uh what did you guys think of those uh you know the nineties uh Outfits of the Bruins When they walked in
2: Oh it was awesome I mean David Posternock, Is he not like One of the best personalities In the league And by the way Goes off and has a hat trick So it's not like He's just all showcasing And like you know Trying to get attention I mean the guy delivers On the ice too So clearly What he does off the ice Is not distracting him At all from the, from the play But the Bruins Just totally dominating 7-3 Yeah I love those I, I loved all the memes <laughs> That were created The hot pink And the sunglasses And they're having fun You gotta appreciate that Sharpie We had a chance to do a, a dunk and shoot with David Posternak uh, back at the All-Star Game in St. Louis, and he was so much fun to work with on that shoot.
3: Yeah, he's, he's the best to me uh, as far as personality goes in the league right now. He's willing to show it. Not a lot of players are. That was a fun shoot that we did at the All-Star Game. Sorry, Pasta for beating you in the shooting contest. So we'll, <laughs> we'll move on and talk about something else. I thought whoever came up with the <laughs> idea for the Bruins to rock those uh, neon colors and the 90s themed outfits uh, what a genius idea as soon as they came off the bus I thought it was like let's put all our money on the Bruins winning this game here's the thing KT. remember when Dallas came off the bus and they were all dressed in the uh, the cowboy hats and the full garb as well so maybe there's something
1: to it but good on the Bruins for, for playing along here's the thing Sharpie like you and I both know happy hockey players are good hockey players and credit to the Bruins for embracing this and turning it into something fun. I guess it was, it was Bergie that came up with the idea, but like the added element was, Hey, if they lost, they got to be caught leaving the rink in those outfits. (laughs) So that's, that's a bit of extra motivation as well. But Hey, there's a lesson here, I think, in terms of keeping the game fun. And I think that's what part of these outdoor games, it kind of brings guys back to their roots and the purity of the game and just playing for, fun because, hey, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, there's a lot of money riding on the line of all these organizations and pressure to win and compete. And, and that's all fine and part of, of doing the job well. But I think hockey players are at their best when they connect with their youth and, and the reason they got to the game in the first place.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And the Bruins do, like you mentioned, um, credit to the Bruins organization for allowing them to showcase their personalities. We saw it when they went to the Winter Classic at Notre Dame Stadium. They all came out in there. Peaky Blinders gear. You know, they had their scally caps and and uh, they looked great coming into Notre Dame Stadium dressed like that. And I think you're right. You know, listen, we are in a pandemic and we're watching hockey. Like, how great is that, right? And you got to have fun with it. Those guys clearly have fun. And by the way, they're the class of the East right now. I mean, this Boston Bruins team is no joke. And I know the Flyers had a lot of um, absences from their lineup, significant players in that game. So you have to certainly factor that in as well. But we've been watching this Bruins team be pretty dominant for quite some time now. And the addition of getting pasta back in the lineup when they did has only added to the fuel, Sharpie. I mean, you think about the guys they lost on defense too, the, the, the Tory Krug, the Zdeno Chara. You wondered how that was going to work with this Bruins team. And it looks like they're better than they were last year.
3: Yeah, it looks like they've um, kind of refound their confidence that they had going into this whole pandemic, going back to March of 2020. They were the top team in the league, in my opinion. They were getting ready to get back to that Stanley Cup final. And then they just weren't quite the same team in the return to play. But since this season started, past has come back to the lineup, everything's kind of fallen into place. They've got a fast, a mobile, a big, a heavy, strong fence, which I always felt was really hard to play against on. Whenever you got big mobile guys on the back end that make it tough to play against, you just got to shake your head and, and take it on one-on-one every single time you play them. That's how the Bruins force you to play and, They've got a couple superstars up front that are going to continue to produce no matter what the situation is. If it's a wide open game with, with odd man rushes, they're going to score. If you want to grind it out below the faceoff dots, they can certainly play that game as well. I like the Bruins. You look at the East, you know, there's lots to be sorted out there. It seems like every couple of weeks we're, we're naming the top two or three teams in the division. To me, it seems like the Bruins are separating themselves, but there's about five or six teams there that are going to be competing for the final playoff spots and it'll be a fun race to watch.
1: Yeah, I think after the Bruins, it's literally anyone's game. I think, as you said, they're separating themselves. But beyond that, I mean, Philly, I think, you know, we talked about how they're missing a bunch of key guys. But still, throughout the first few weeks of the season, they've been winning games but getting outshot almost every game, game in and game out. And uh, there's still some question marks in terms of whether Carter Hart can sustain the workload of being the number one guy on on a franchise that, expects, uh, you know, a lot of great things. And, you know, I played for Vino. He'll definitely continue to set the trend and they will get better and better as the season goes on. But, you know, they, these teams are trying to peak to be playing at their best for the playoffs. And to me that's what the Bruins are built around is playoff success. They've had continuity um, with the coaching staff and with the, you know, the leaders in that group. And that's a huge asset in a shortened season.
2: Yeah, and you guys haven't even mentioned Tuka Rask once yet. He, of course, is uh, back for the bees, Sharpie, you mentioned how they, they faltered a little bit in the return to play. And, of course, Tuka Rask uh, left that bubble for personal reasons. And that was a, a big, you know, a big fall for the Bruins. They needed him in net to be able to try and advance to get back to the Stanley Cup final. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a conversation about the Bruins and the East uh, that's that's worth having every single day. It seems like it changes constantly. But let's uh, let's talk about what happened after that game. We had an unbelievable one-hour tribute that we had been promoting all week for our uh, favorite colleague, Doc Emrick, who retired last October. Uh, the Voice of Hockey, it was called, and it was tremendous. One-hour special produced by Vinny Costello, who's one of our uh, amazing editors at NBC. I mean, to be able to put a show like that on, given what we're dealing with right now with the pandemic and to get all of those voices to chime in about Doc. I mean, Sidney Crosby and Wayne Gretzky and Chico Rush and all these voices. I mean, it was such a beautiful and well done tribute to Doc Emmerich. What did you guys think of that show?
3: Well, it was (laughs) awesome. Don't forget yourself, KT. You had some FaceTime in there too, answering a few (laughs) questions about your relationship with Doc over the years. It was uh, really well done. I got to learn a lot about Doc in his, his early days. Uh, coming up as a broadcaster, I love the fact that he went back to Bowling Green and called the second period of the game. To me, that would would have been real awesome. exciting to be a part of. Um, you know, it just makes me uh, fortunate to be a part of the NBC team. To be quite honest with you, I know Dom maybe will echo this sentiment a little bit. But when you're a hockey player, you're used to being around your friends and you're you're insulated with that group of guys that you can feel comfortable with. And this is my third year not playing in the league, and you kind of lose that sense of team. And I'm happy to be a part of the NBC squad now and. To see a great documentary on Doc and see so many faces chime in and have nothing but great things to say about him—it was, it was pretty special.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you couldn't couldn't have said it any better, Sharpie. The camaraderie around uh, the group and just seeing how well loved he was, and just the class act through and through. And I talked last week about you know being in the locker room after morning skates and just having these casual chats with Doc, and and those are great memories for me. For me, the one of the coolest things was seeing. You know, and they asked Doc about if he had any regrets or if he could go back and, and change anything. He didn't bat an eye and immediately said he wished he could have recalled Kane's overtime goal from 2010. And I'm curious, Sharpie, your reaction to that, because I thought that was just so cool to see him relive that moment and call it, call it again a second time. Because that's something that an announcer doesn't get to do. No. Uh, and to hear Kane and,
2: chime in, too. I mean, they had yeah. Kane's perspective on it. Sharpie, you were there.
3: Yeah. I wouldn't like to hear Doc say sharp, wide open in the high slot, but Kane decided to shoot it. That was a a crazy goal. It was like a few of us knew it was in the net. Uh, Doc obviously wants that call back, but that's what I think makes it unique and makes it special. Doc's been bang on, you know, every single time you hear him call a game, he gets it right. And there was so much confusion around that uh, cup winning goal that, hey, why not have it end that way? But uh, so many of our great Blackhawks moments where, where Doc Doc's voice calling the goals. And, and NBC does a good job of covering the games without Doc uh, this season, but there's nothing like hearing his excitement. It could be a, an exhibition game or a Stanley Cup final. He's going to make all the viewers excited about watching what's going on.
2: Yeah, I can't get over his memory, too, guys, when he had to recall some certain moments and and phrases that people had said to him over the years. I mean, it's, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, let alone half the stuff <laughs> that uh, that he was recalling. But yeah, he is a voice that is missed. But, um, you know, we wish him the best. I know he's enjoying this next chapter of his life with his wife, Joyce, and their pups. And, uh, and I hope he's enjoying. I was texting him yesterday. I said, I just hope you enjoy this day of being showered with love from everybody in the industry, you know, and, and all the promotions leading up to it so uh it was very well done i found myself rewinding certain elements of it i would watch it and then i'd go back and rewind it because i wanted to hear again what they were saying so um yeah it was awesome and i will re-watch it again i'm sure NBCSN will be re-airing it many times as we continue on the season so i would encourage anybody listening now that has not seen it to check that out doc emmerich the voice of hockey all right guys we talked about the east i want to focus on the west now because we saw the abs and the uh golden knights on saturday in tahoe both are cup contenders and battle in that same division in the West. So let's take a look at the current West division odds presented by points bets, points bet, rather lots of teams playing well right now, including the Kings who are actually the biggest underdogs to win the division plus 6,700. But you look at the abs and the golden Knights. I mean, they are neck and neck right now in that West division based on the points odds, points bet odds. What do you guys think about these two teams and are they the best that are going to come out of the West right now?
1: Yeah, to me, I mean, they get, Colorado, I think there are a couple games in hand uh, on St. Louis, certainly. I think St. St. Louis is at 18. Um, they're building for the playoffs as well. They've had plenty of guys out, so I think you can't forget about St. Louis. They play a playoff-style type game. I think Colorado, gosh, Kael McCarr is just such a difference maker on the ice, and you know, watching him progress throughout the year and how he makes everyone better um, and, and what Joe Sackick's been able to do there in terms of putting some, some pieces around him, a guy like Brandon Saad, I think, come playoff time will be a really, really important piece. So, uh, Sharpie, that's what I'm thinking about is playoff time, kind of, kind of how these teams are going to fare and how it's going to play out that way.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's tough to kind of judge these teams. In the regular season, when they're playing every other night in the middle of a pandemic, some teams are playing <laughs> shorthanded, missing guys, all the time but to me those are the two best teams in the division if i started the playoffs today i'd be focused on that matchup to me vegas is the team to beat watching them in the playoffs last year they just don't give up a whole lot the question marks last year were can they score goals come playoff time and against vancouver they struggled against dallas they kept the goals against down but they didn't have those game breakers that could really separate themselves from the pack uh, maybe they figure it out this time. Maybe maybe they have a, a team that can contribute offensively. Pacioretty, since he's come over, has had a real good start this season. Uh, scoring goals, he can be that game-breaker for me. I still look at Smith and Marsha show on that second line. They played together for a long time. And Alex Tuck is a guy up front that, to me, is a playoff-type player. Plays in straight lines. He's big. He can play physically. But he's got that good shot, and he, he wants to score. So, to me, Vegas is the squad to beat right now but going back to the odds like LA at the bottom of the pack to me they're the best team in California I don't know how their odds are worse than San Jose or Anaheim and they're on a little bit of a roll right now so LA is a squad that has a bunch of young prospects that are going to be good eventually when we don't know but what happens if they figure it out this year we've seen how Brown and Kopitar and Doughty are playing they look like they've inspired to play a few more years I thought they were all done a bunch of years ago but now they're <laughs> They've got to figure out. So I like watching the Kings play. they got some good things going on. I, I still
1: have my – sorry, Katie, I was just going to say, I still have my doubts about Vegas because down the middle, they – to me, they don't match up well at the center ice position. And uh, to me, that's just so important. Centers have the most responsibility offensively, defensively, all over the ice. and And having that depth down the middle, I think, is a key cog in the playoff machine. And so I have my doubts about Vegas – uh, in that respect, it doesn't mean they won't potentially add someone um, before playoff time to fill that, that void. But um, I think, you know, if you're talking about dark horses. I think potentially you're looking at Minnesota filling that last playoff spot that's available. I think the Kings, is, as well as they played in recent weeks, um, I think there's going to be some up and downs to their season. And, and I think Minnesota has a few games in hand and will sort of right the ship as the season goes on.
2: All right, so nobody's picking the Arizona Coyotes as a dark horse, huh? You guys are going to leave that be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it is such an odd year with this division realignment and the fact that all these teams are playing against one another in the division until really they get to the final four so. I guess my question to you guys would be like, how would teams play if they were in different divisions in an expanded schedule? Are we still talking about the same teams? Are they still the ones that are in the conversation? You know, I'm thinking about a team like Montreal who I don't think any of us would have picked to be where they are at this point in the season, but they're playing outstanding. They made a couple key acquisitions and and moves last year, but you know, would we be talking about them if they were in the, their normal slotted division?
1: Well, to me, this is a really interesting conversation because, the way this season has played out, I mean, there's definitely teams that I think you put them in a different division. It's a completely different story. Montreal might be one of them. Uh, they definitely had a good start to the season. You know, Edmonton's another team. Like, are are they playing playoff-style hockey? I mean, the entire North Division is a shootout every night. Um, and good on them, the, the offensive superstars that are entertaining us every night. It, it looks amazing and it's fun to watch. But I think Sharpie come playoff time, you know, these teams that will grind you down and not give up much, I think you want to have, I mean, the Leafs have high, ex- high expectations for this season. I think it's important for them to, to face the top teams, you know, to get prepared for the playoffs and the top defensive teams. But I, I don't see them having that opportunity during the regular season. And to me, that would make them unprepared come playoff time. I agree
3: 100%. It's almost like there's four leagues going on in the NHL right now. Each division's got their own thing going on, and how is Toronto going to play against the Tampa Bay Lightning? What are they going to do against Vegas or Colorado or St. Louis in the playoff series? That's what's going to make the playoffs so fun to me. Uh, We can almost kind of sort out the divisions at this point, with all due respect, to a handful of teams that are in the mix uh, in each of the four divisions. But we know who the good teams are. We know who the bad teams are, but we don't know how – the good teams in each division are going to match up against each other so i'm with you dom i enjoy watching the north division it's always high scoring there's some great players some offensive superstars the numbers are hilarious that they're putting up right now but i do think that things will tighten up when crunch time comes along that first second third round of playoffs but remember you got to get out of your division so the first two rounds uh, are against those divisional opponents as well we're not going to see these teams playing against each other Until, what, the conference finals, I guess, will be the old school way of putting it. It'll be the third of the playoffs. So, lots to be sorted out. I I, I like to think that the playoff-built teams, the ones we've been talking about, Tampa's, Carolina's, Vegas, Colorado, they'll be the ones uh, at the end of the day that are standing tall. Toronto, uh, let's see if they can continue to to score goals at the clip that they are come playoff time.
1: For sure.
2: Guys, we saw – I was just going to say,
1: I I would put the Islanders, sorry, KT, it's tough with the delay, but I was just going to say, I was going to put the Islanders in that playoff style group as well, because, you know, Barry Trotz is, is building for the long term here. And, and uh, they're a team that has struggled out of the gate, but they play a playoff style game and, you know, they're in the middle of the pack, but I would see them rising as the season goes along and then come playoff time, be a very, very tough team to beat. I
2: agree. You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. It was a year I'd like to forget to listen to Broomgate, search for broom gate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word Broomgate.
2: We saw a couple players over the weekend, hit some milestones, Travis Zajac, a thousand games, all with the New Jersey devils. Uh, Patrick Kane is inching closer to a thousand games as well. You guys all with the Chicago Blackhawks, which is just so awesome when you see one player play that long. And Sidney Crosby played his 1000th game for the Penguins on Saturday. Um, a lot of trade rumors being circulated around Sidney Crosby and the situation in Pittsburgh right now. He came out and just said, no, I want to stay a Penguin for the rest of my career. Can you guys even fathom seeing Sidney Crosby in a uniform other than the Pittsburgh Penguins? I guess you have to go back to thinking about, like, I'm sure fans were asking about Ray Bork when he got moved to the Colorado Avalanche. And, I mean, he's a lifelong Bruin. Now you never even think of him in the ads, but he goes and wins the cup there. But, you know, can you picture Sidney Crosby anywhere else but Pittsburgh?
3: No. I can't I, I, I mean he'll do what he wants to do at the end of the day but to me he's wearing 87 for the Penguins until he doesn't want to play anymore I say the same thing for 1988 in Chicago as well there's there's something to be said about playing your entire career with one organization I think if you're fortunate if you're able to do that and when you're a superstar player like Sidney Crosby you can play for anybody in the league anyone will take them but what he's done there in Pittsburgh. Uh, rebuilding that franchise the success he's had as an individual and as a team I just can't see it I mean crazier things have happened we've seen Gretzky play for a bunch of different teams but to me I think Crosby's going to finish in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah I completely agree and to me he's just following in Mario's footsteps and, and being a lifelong penguin and a pillar of the community for for the rest of his life and and uh his legacy is already secure um but you know, we, there are some tough decisions in Pittsburgh to be made, and and I wouldn't necessarily put Letang or Malkin in the same group as Crosby because if they want to kind of rebuild or, or bring in some, some assets to surround Sid for a couple more years of contention, they're going to potentially have to make a tough decision along the line of moving something of value to bring something of value back. Yeah, I'm with you, Dom. Like, I, I wouldn't want to be the
3: guy that comes in and – first thing I do is trade Sidney Crosby that's not exactly the best way to warm up to the fan base so uh, perhaps some of the other superstars uh, could be gone and bring back a pretty big haul in return but as far as the captain 87 um, in my mind I think he stays in Pittsburgh
2: have you guys ever played with a guy like Ray Bork a guy who played his entire career with one team until the end did you guys play with anybody like that?
3: I'm trying to think. Uh, we had a guy come to our team, Akemo Tiemannan, who played a long time with Nashville and Philly. Uh, I guess that's two different teams. Uh, it's as close as I've ever got to it. He came to us and we, he won a cup in his final season in the National Hockey League. A guy that was well-respected across the league. Um, everybody said great things about him when he came to our team. We loved him for the short time that we had him. Uh, nobody that stayed in the same Place their entire career I'm just trying to rack my brain but there is something special when one of those guys I'm looking at Joe Thornton in Toronto right now you know when you're tired in the playoffs and your backs are against the wall you look around the room and and you dig in a little bit harder for those guys that haven't quite won it at the end of their career but
1: but I don't know what about you Dom you have anybody like that yeah I guess we'd put Marty St. Louis in that category we we played together in in Tampa and then I went to New York and then Uh, He ended up coming to New York um, to finish his career there. And, you know, that was definitely, I think, something that shocked a lot of people at the time. Uh, Marty has family ties in the area, though. And so, you know, it it did make some sense in terms of what what drew him to New York and and wanting to contend uh, on the good Ranger teams that we had at the time. So that would be the one. Looking back, though, in terms of, different players over the over the past that have, that have been in that mode. One that comes to mind is Brian Leach. You know, he was a Ranger through and through, and then just seeing him go to Toronto was just really weird. Seeing him in Maple Leafs uniform just didn't didn't add up for me. And so there's some times where it just, just doesn't seem to make sense.
2: <laughs> it is bizarre. I remember when Marty St. Louis came to you guys, Dom, with the Rangers, and uh, provided that extra element of uh, almost like an emotional lift for you guys. And I know there was – you know, he was dealing with a heavy heart with his mom uh, during that time. And it just seemed like it, it, he brought you guys that special element that it takes to win. Right.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. He's the most passionate guy I've ever played with just pure love for the game. And that's continued as now he's as passionate a hockey dad as there is coaching his three boys. And uh, he just brought so much to our team in terms of the leadership and love for the game. And yeah, there was definitely uh, an emotional time for us as a group when Marty lost his mom during the playoffs. And, you know, that was one of the more memorable games of my career was we played uh, at the Bell Center in Montreal together on a line uh, in the playoffs, you know, the day after we, you know, attended his mother's funeral. um, And we connected for a goal and and Marty looked up to the heavens. And so that is something that will always be uh, one of the most special moments of my career.
2: Yeah. Was unreal. I know I'm getting choked up thinking about that moment. I remember it very, very well. Guys, it's time for the cold brew check presented by Duncan. Uh, Let's talk about this heart race chatter. And Dom, you kind of touched on it a little bit before the crazy points that are being put up by certain players right now in the league led by the three M's you've got McKinnon, Matthews and McDavid. I mean, they are every night lighting the lamp, putting up a number of points. Um, I guess, first off, I want to get your guys thoughts on who your early runner front runner is for the MVP. But then I want to know, Dom, maybe you, you why are guys being able to put up such high points right now? What is the reasoning behind why we're seeing, you know, five, six point nights or whatever it may be from certain players tricks here and there um big numbers from certain guys in each division so first off first things first MVP Sharpie who you got
3: oh tough to pick an MVP 20 games in but I would just lean looking at the straight numbers to Connor McDavid in Edmonton if Edmonton's going to make the playoffs and McDavid has that type of video game stats beside his name be tough not to vote him as the MVP you go down the list you see Matthews you see Marner Uh, near the top. What about Patrick Kane? I know people are rolling their eyes because I'm talking about the Hawks again, but the Hawks were horrible, terrible at the start of the year. Everybody expected them to be picking first overall next year. They're sitting in a playoff spot right now, and if they do make the playoffs, then one thing's got to happen. Either Lankin wins Rookie of the Year as a goaltender, Kane wins the heart, or maybe the coach wins Coach of the Year. Something's got to happen there. So maybe a dark horse would be Patrick Kane as the heart trophy guy, but I don't see how anybody votes other than Carmen did.
1: Yeah. The, it, I think the heart is most valuable for, for your team. So I think that you've got a real strong argument with Kane. I mean, hard to debate that in, in that, in that context, but the numbers that these guys are, are putting up, they're absolutely insane. Uh, you know, in terms of the reasons for that, I mean, the North division, obviously it's, it's a shootout every night. Um, they're trading chance for a chance. Um, and there's guys that straight up just are incredible. They, they, like, Matthews' release is something like we've never seen in in a long time, maybe ever. I mean, he's putting up numbers that rival what, what Brett Hall was able to do when he was challenging Gretzky's scoring records and numbers that Mario and Gretzky were putting up in those days. And And I know it's a shortened season, but he's got Mitch Marner. He's got, you know, one of the pro- most prolific playmakers in our era right now in Mitch Marner that he's playing with. Wow. Um, You know, these guys, uh, they're really, really in a special situation this year, but uh, credit to them for producing uh, in in an incredible way right now. It just seems
3: like the power play is so important in today's game. Now, I know it's always been important, special teams. You hear us as broadcasters talk about it all the time, but it just seems like in the last five to seven years, there's been a huge emphasis on power play. And the numbers go – the numbers show it, really. When I was in the league, I think that 20% was a good number on the power play, was it not? That means one every five opportunities you're scoring. That means a goal every second game. Maybe it seems like now these top teams with the great power plays are scoring twice a night, it seems like. And when you're on the power play and you get your two assists or your cheap assists by feeding it to the point or maybe a tip-in goal, all of a sudden now that confidence filters over into five-on-five, maybe get an empty net and you're walking away with a few points. So the talent level is off the charts. The rules have – Allowed that to happen, you know, no more slashing on the hands, no more heavy cross checks in front of the net. You're protecting these top skilled players. And when you skate as fast as some of these guys do and be able to control the puck at high speeds, you're going to see some crazy numbers.
1: I think that the other thing too, you're getting back to playing the same teams, you know, throughout the season in your division. I think that's a big factor here. Uh, You know, Pasternak's another guy we should put into this conversation. He's got a goal a game right now. He missed some time at the start of the season. Six of his nine goals are against Philly. And, you know, he talked yesterday about how he loves playing against Philly. He scored his first NHL goal against Philly. Um, you've got Matthews, who's playing every second night against Ottawa. He loves playing against Ottawa, scored his first NHL goals against Ottawa. And Sharpie, I don't know about you, but there's certain teams that you kind of just played better against. For me, that was Montreal. I scored my first points and my first goal against Montreal. And I just always, my game always seemed to rise when playing against them. And so that, that might be a factor here as well.
2: The juju yeah, factors, the juju against those teams, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. AT, if,
3: if I played in a division with the Kings, the Stars, the Blue Jackets, and the Red Wings, we'd be talking about Sharp for the MVP right now. <laughs> <laughs> but on the same side, if you put me in a, in a division with some of these other teams, I'd have zero points and uh, be looking like an American Hockey League player. So, yeah, there's something to that for sure, Dom. Guys feel comfortable playing against certain teams, certain goalies also.
2: That was Cold Brew Check presented by Duncan this season. Be sure to go grab a cold brew for game time because where there's hockey, there's Duncan. Dom, you had a chance to play with Austin Matthews, so take us behind the scenes. What is he like off the ice? What's his work ethic like? I mean, give us the details on him. He's just absolutely unbelievable to watch every night.
1: His his skill level is just off the charts. I mean, we've never seen anything like it. The quickness of his hands the way he's able to beat goalies. I mean, these goalies are literally like the best in the world. If they can see it, they're going to stop it. But Matthew seems like the only guy that can from, from distance beat a goalie just one-on-one and that's kind of unheard of. And I had a chance to see it firsthand. And, and to be honest, I think he's readjusting people's expectations about what's possible in this league in terms of goal scoring. And I think he was, a little bit held back in his first few years. I don't think he had the the freedom and creativity to kind of play the way he wanted to. And he's just taken off since since Sheldon Keefe has come in and allowed him to kind of play his game. And he's a highly motivated individual, and uh, you're seeing that firsthand this season. I like the
3: fact that he plays with Mitch Marner now as well. You know, for a long time there, Tavares and Marner were, were the duo, and now it seems like. Matthews and Marner are out there playing with each other. Marner's a guy that's always looking for big number 34 in those scoring areas. You watch Matthews play, Dom, and it seems like he's on the power play all the time because even five-on-five, he's going to those areas where he he knows that a puck's coming to him. He can get his shot off through traffic. Uh, He's a big man. He's moving well this year. I love the way he competed last year in the playoffs. I thought that Columbus series, he showed me something. I've said that a few times now, but but that's really when – my eyes open up is in the playoffs when a guy can compete in the one-on-one battles and still contribute offensively. Right now he's just feeling it. A goal, a game, people are talking about him scoring 50 goals in 50 games. When was the last time we had that conversation? So Austin Matthews is must-watch television right now for me. I love it when the Leafs are playing because we can tune in and check them out.
2: Guys, Austin Matthews also has quite the fashion sense. I mean, when he goes and shows up to a <laughs> game, everybody's watching him. Uh, I, it kind of brought up a topic, though, this week for discussion about should the NHL have a dress code. And you guys are both a part of this league. You played on many teams, certain teams. I mean, Lou Lamarillo's teams uh, dress a certain way and have to conduct themselves a certain way, and keep their hair cut short and everything like that. But, you know, do you think that there should be a universal dress code for players to, to dress more like an Austin Matthews in a very professional manner versus – you know, a hoodie and jeans walking to the arena.
1: What do you think, Sean? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, not I play. You want to
1: talk about? <laughs> I played. No, hey, well, let's go for it. I, I played for Lou and, and I fully respect uh, Lou and the principles that, that he builds his foundation of his teams on. Uh, having said that, I think that it would be great to let let people's personalities come out, let players within some structure of rules express themselves and how they come to the rink, how they dress. Uh, not only coming to the rink, but traveling and things like that. It's it's a long season, and I think allowing players to kind of be themselves and be relaxed, I think in the long run is is better for the the players on the ice, not not just off. Yeah, I've I've
3: totally changed my opinion on it. As a player, I like the fact that we'd be in uniform, wear the same charcoal gray suit for. 41 out of the 82 games and put the road suit on for the other ones. But now that I'm on the other side of the camera and I'm on television, I'm watching these players walk into the building. I'm I'm looking for personality. I love watching David Pasternak, William Nylander, Austin Matthews. These guys aren't afraid to show their personality. It's awesome to see from the outside. I don't hear too many people criticizing their fashion choices. It's entertainment. Uh, I think the players should be
1: allowed to wear whatever they want uh, in this day and age. And not only that, but the number choices, too. You know, we saw Willie Nylander change his number once Lou moved on to, to the Islanders, and I think that allowed him to kind of come out of his shell a little bit as well because he had he had a say in what number he wore and something that was meaningful to, to him. And so I think just letting letting those players come out and, you know, you'll never see, I guess, a Brent Burns or, or Joe Thornton on a Lou Lamorello team because of those beards. So, uh, <laughs> That's the way you it is like
2: those trimmed up a little bit. That's, uh, I feel bad for the guys they play against.
3: <laughs> I think we should bring that to the NBC desk. Start dressing like Cam Newton in the NFL. You know, get some big fancy hats. Colors.
2: You can start that trend. You know Jonesy's not going there. so. Uh,
3: I was thinking Dom could start
1: it now that it's his first year with NBC.
3: He could be the one. <laughs> oh, man.
1: I I usually like to have, you know, a few days scruff, but I came in uh, Lou Lamorello style for my first day in the studio. I I wasn't sure what the rules were. I wasn't going to take a chance.
2: (laughs) I like it. I like it. Well, it's been fun, guys, and thanks for everybody joining us for this episode of Our Line Starts, presented by Duncan. We'll see you again next time.